0: I can hit the dramatic piano music. That one in a while. Uh, the only one we have left after all the one, it gave us like the generic uh, startup music things. And I never, I accidentally deleted them. Anyway, we're Attica Shrugged, a podcast about Southern culture and politics. That was our strong lead in. I, I thought I had COVID. And so I went to uh, CVS. Apparently in America, uh, what you call the NHS is CVS. Um, <laughs> I drove over there this morning um, and stood around in the diaper section for a while until they called me in and they gave me a COVID. Thing. I don't, I don't have COVID, which is the good news, but this being New England, they're like, well, it's probably Lyme disease. So there's that. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Apparently that's. I've been bitten mean. by a lot of ticks, but I, I've never gotten Lyme disease. I used to read the tick and I don't, I've never had Lyme disease.
1: I think Lyme disease is making a comeback. Is chronic is chronic fatigue syndrome the same as Epstein Bar?
0: I really don't know and I really also um don't think it's imaginary. I
2: think some people think it it is I think it I think it can be. I think a lot of I people have, I think it go oh, go ahead.
0: No, probably like you Chad, if you teach long enough you will wade in and you too, David. If you, you will wade into these um, maybe you didn't know uh debates about imaginary and real diseases where it, if this happened to you. I know that at Tulane I was showing the the documentary the punk singer about Kathleen Hannah who says that she has chronic Lyme disease. And then um I said I made a note saying like, look, this is a part of the documentary, but a lot of physicians don't think this is an actual thing, blah, 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 blah. And then uh one of my students like, Well, uh, unfortunately I know that it's real because I have chronic Lyme disease. Oh boy.
1: <clears throat> i've tried to <laughs> i tried to keep my medical consultations just to my constant interior monologue where i'm dying of something different every day well it's probably gonna be an aneurysm so don't worry about it. Yeah. I, you know what i went and got my blood pressure tested and i expected it to be through the roof and it was like slightly high very slightly Today and, they took I my was perfect,
0: and I was surprised, but then I realized, because I've been sick for like three days, I haven't had coffee in like three days, so that might might have helped out, because mm. so I'm a, yeah, easy, my, a bit bad guy. Mm. Um,
2: yeah, I'm probably, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm right in the, uh, my blood pressure is high, I have a history of strokes in my family, so...
0: You ever, you have a history of running summer camps? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
2: I'm, uh, yeah, no, that's what I, so I, yeah, I'm a public school teacher during the year
0: and for, for my vacation, I run a summer camp, so. I don't think you got to worry about that stroke. (laughs) Not Uh, a problem. It's really not a problem. But see now, maybe I live now in Massachusetts, the land of the the legal dispensary. So maybe it's just bringing my blood pressure way down. That's what I'm talking about way down every every day can be nap time
1: is that the effect that um uh uh, weed has on you i thought we were talking about chronic lyme i
2: thought we were talking about chronic lyme disease yeah yes
0: the effect that chronic lyme disease has on me it lowers my stroke Mm -hmm. potential because i can't get many strokes in when i'm tired from lyme disease worn out worn out here you know, I, had, I keep being freaked out by the fact that I have, even though I live on Cape Cod, it's like, oh, I'm driving to Cape Cod to go to the CVS to get my um, my COVID test. Uh, seems odd to me. I'm still, like, I'm living inside the, the set of One Crazy Summer. Um, in fact, like, after that, I did go get some coffee this morning. I went and got coffee after my negative COVID test in uh, Woods Hole, right in front of the ferry port. So I'm sitting there at Woods Hole, you know. One crazy summer ended up in the middle of the fall, or second summer, if you will, if we've established second summer. In any case, enough of the chit chat, down to business. Um, I'm sick this week, so I'm not I'm not a charismatic uh, a leader on this. So oh my god, I see Dylan Bradley walking behind me in the back. Why did not Dylan just be our special guest and save us from talking?
1: I'm trying to, to get him to he's taking the dog out because she's laying here snoring. So loudly that it's showing up on the mic. Gosh, you want to want to go, you go <laughs> Dylan's snoring. you going to uh, inform <laughs>
0: us on the South Asheville ice cream scene. Yeah. What's going um, on with that?
1: Well, you know, it's like apparently it's a whole thing. I'm sure
0: it is. But Everything that'll
1: happens. have to wait for another day. All right. But that's a day. story for
0: another time. For another time. Another day. <laughs> I think to live in Asheville, though, you probably, as an ice cream store worker, have to make about, what, $150,000 a year just to live there.
2: Probably have to work, probably work seven days a week at a 24-hour uh, ice creamery.
0: Enjoy it as, as the manager and uh, with time and a half mm-hmm. before that Asheville lifestyle. Speaking of what I'm talking about Cape Cod and Asheville, man, this is the thing I'm running into trying to find housing here. And this is the only place I've seen it, although I'm sure it must exist other places is that you'll find a place that has somewhat reasonable rent, which here is like $2,500 a month. And you find that and it's like, you can only live there from like October through May. Like that's most of the apartment. <laughs> and then they have you move out so they can do summer rentals for people and make their real money. Is that have you run it anywhere else, or is that just a Cape Cod thing?
1: I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, I've lived three places, really. Well, four places, I guess: Knoxville, New Orleans, um, Austin, and San Miguel. And um, actually, the economies that are the closest are um, New Orleans and San Miguel because uh locals are being priced out all over the place and um it's a little bit like what i hear about uh colorado where everybody who works in all the boutique stores downtown live here it's not in trailer parks on the edge of town but in like new tiny developments on the edges of town because They can't yeah, I think, afford to to rent downtown and, or um, own a place. I
0: think Colorado was where that was first documented. It used to be called Aspenization, where like all of the people who work there lived outside of town and drove in, but now that's just everywhere. I mean, that's Destin, Florida now. That's, um, so, I mean, I know well, that's going on at Cape Cod from what I read is that there's it's very, very hard to be working class out there now because everyone's got a second or third home. The dum-dum the dumb who owns uh, Barstool Sports just bought a house on Cape Cod for $42 million after he made massive layoffs at Barstool. So that's the kind of, yeah, that's what the market's like out there.
2: I do remember Patrick talking about in Charleston that they would, you could find cheap apartment. You could live in the off season. You could live on beach. Yeah, you could live at beach rentals for like in the wintertime. People would rent out like the beach rental for like cheap to like college kids. and season like people that were you know not upwardly upwardly mobile but i don't know if it's like
0: that now yeah i mean I, I don't know i guess maybe because i'm not ever looking for rent in florida i don't notice it and in but in new orleans i don't see it and it seems like they would although you get you know you get the whole airbnb economy where that's essentially what it is is if you can been okay. never outside of it there maybe it's just not so strictly seasonal that it's just all the time short-term rentals but it I mean, it destroys a community. Anyway, enough of one. Todd chat for today. I finally had a chowda. I had some chowda. All right, so today we're talking about several things. But one, our our um, our beautiful boy, our big our large adult son, ever County's own favorite Fail son, only really the biggest, uh, Matt Gates, who's kind of the prototypical Fail son, I think, really. Um is in the news like all this weekend because he kind of engineered this government shutdown to have his blood feud with Kevin McCarthy, uh, right wing Republican Kevin McCarthy, who for Matt Gates is too much of a, of a squish. Um, and so Matt's all over the news today and yesterday uh, because we almost had a government shutdown, which would have been fun. If you remember the last few, they've all
1: been great. For everyone And none of them have worked out for the people who engineered them. I don't understand why they keep using it as a tactic, except that I know that there are some people who just I think they don't have a clear idea of the consequences or they, they don't have personal consequences and so they think it's great that anybody who's working for the government is suffering because they're not getting paid.
0: Someone who was that I meant to save that someone I'm not sure they're in politics like elected or they're in politics like commentary. It was a, a woman and I believe she's conservative of what she said. She said, um, if you're like, I don't understand why we have people who work for the government who aren't essential. If you're a person who could lose your job in a shutdown, you should uh, you should go out and get a job on the private market. And if you can't do that, then you should get to the kind of skills where you can do that. It's like, that's, such a fundamental misunderstanding of how anything works it's just
1: weird. yeah i was gonna say it's not just misunderstanding government it's misunderstanding work um i mean would you have the same rule for corporations that anybody who serves any function except the most essential function is uh, unnecessary then what you lose is all the um you lose a lot of administration, um, more than anything else. But I think that uh, their idea, what's up? Get rid of shareholders. Yeah. What nobody are they doing?
0: Stock. You're not essential. Nobody owns stock in this company. Uh, we all know the CEO could not show up for work for six months and nobody would notice. So just get rid of them. Uh, and then a lot, you know, one of the frustrating things about thinking about the economy in this way is a lot of jobs aren't essential until they are, right? You can't just keep firing and rehiring for those moments, right? Like that's came up during COVID when all of a sudden airports didn't work anymore because you have to retrain and uh revet security personnel. It's so, like well you can't just do that every time you feel like it. It takes a long time. And I don't know if it was as big a problem in America, but it was a huge problem in the UK where Manchester was running at like a horrible capacity because they couldn't Um, do security clearance on on rehiring all of the airport staff.
1: There are a lot of Americans here in um, San Miguel, but I don't talk to them very much. And certainly I don't talk about politics with them very much. So I don't know anybody at all who I've had a conversation with who said they thought that, a shutdown was uh, a, a worthwhile price to pay for whatever it is that they thought they were going to get out of it. Do you guys know people who, I'm just curious, who does this play to? Who is Matt Gates impressing and who's going to vote for him because of this? In
0: Oklahoma County, I know, but that's Oklahoma County. I mean,
2: I think it's like people, they, I mean, there are people probably that see it as well, like whoever, whatever, whoever was on my side, like they were in the right and the other people, they didn't compromise. And so they let the government, the most important thing in the world, get shut down because they wouldn't compromise. So I think that, I mean, I don't know, maybe it plays to those people that, you know, don't really have an understanding of of how it all, of, of the government, how it works.
0: And I think a lot of people just think about this as like a, a play that happens on TV. It's like a soap opera they're watching and there's the people they root for and the people they root against. And for a lot of people like, you know, Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene or, and Lauren Boebert are, are the good guys, right? And so when they do something, that's cool and it's good. And when uh, it hurts people they don't like, that's good. And then there's just kind of the general idea of government as bad. Uh, and that, oh, government, well, who cares? That's not good. Um, and as I, I, I don't want to talk about my students too much, but as I've been trying to explain all week, like, um, like all, all like, you know, where I'm from, like people are in the military or they work as con- defense contractors, like mainly. And so like all of a sudden you get just the economy crashes because like defense contractors uh, are furloughed. Right. And, um, You know, I think a lot of people who are like uh, reserves or National Guards, the reserves probably stopped getting paid like a lot of people. uh, It affects on down the line. And, you know, people even like wildland firefighters are in this huge pay dispute right now where against the same people where in the Joe Biden um, budget, the infrastructure bill, their pay went up by twenty thousand dollars a year, which is huge for them. Uh, And even that's a struggle, right, because because municipal firefighters get paid more. Um, and then part of this battle I don't know how it worked out with the bill yesterday I need to check but like their pay could go back down to fifteen dollars an hour to be a wildland firefighter right and so like it affects all of these people and in the bill yesterday 16 billion dollars for the for femA was going to be gone right that was one of the things that they had to argue for like right as this flooding was happening in New York 16 billion for FEMA was going to be gone all of a sudden so I don't I don't know how they think that stuff works out, but I think for a lot of people, it doesn't matter. They don't ever think about it. They don't think about it in those ways. Um, I know because I'm in contact with some of them on a daily basis and I try to explain this and they don't seem to think about it. So I think that audience is out there that just hear like, oh, these are the good guys and they're fighting for us and they're fighting against the bad guys. And that's about as deep as it goes.
1: Now that makes sense to me. Although I'm I'm curious how anybody who represents Florida and is like gutting fema can be seen as a good guy by any of their constituents uh, i guess the panhandle doesn't get as many hurricanes with mexico beach had you know
0: uh was it hurricane michael a few years ago which is devastating but here's the change here there is i'm doing my work talk here here's the big change uh all through obama until trump it was thought and it was said, and it was taught that if you blew it, if you were a bad at government during a disaster, your political career would be done for you. Would, the American people would not accept that. And then uh, with Trump, you know, he blew it. Like Maria was horrible. He, it was a horrible response from Maria. He seemed to not care about disasters. He had a garbage um, head of FEMA, right? It's just like, they, they didn't care. They clearly didn't care. And there was no political penalty for it. I mean, he lost, but I don't think that's why he lost, right? I, I don't think it had much traction there at all. Part of that's because it's Puerto Rico and like most Americans think Puerto Rico is a different country, but um, I think there's been a real change. And so I think in Florida now, it gets complicated, but I think you could fail. And like, you know, is it Hurricane Ian last year has been the most costliest, the most costliest, the costliest disaster in Florida history. And I don't know if that has fallen back on Ron DeSantis yet. But it could, as he's kind of floundering in the presidential election and insurance companies are all backing out of Florida, like people are just, you can't insure your house in Florida now. So it, it could in the long term, but I don't know if people put that together. And if what? The, the, the thing you should be noted, if the disaster hurts the people that you want to be hurt, then great,
1: who cares? Yeah, that's that makes sense. Yeah. But what what could DeSantis have done differently that would have kept the insurance companies in Florida? Uh, this is a good question to ask me. I should have a better
0: answer. He there was there were bills that came up that would have kind of backed up this stuff, and he changed the bills to being where they were not. They were they were not helpful, and so insurance companies like we can't handle that. And I have to tell people all the time like all of this all of this disaster-related stuff is not, you can't make profit off of it, right? It's not economically feasible. It has to be like government backstop because it's not profitable uh, in the long run. And I think um, he just avoided, and then DeSantis, I think one thing that's underrated, and we'll talk about this on a later episode, but one thing that's underrated with him is how much of his administration has just been like crony capitalism and, and graft, right? He's just been siphoning off money to his buddies and so a lot of it was just uh not forward-looking insurance policies but how do we make money off, out of this stuff
1: now anyway uh, that yeah that makes sense um uh, um, uh we should bookmark the, that like be able to
0: discuss this uh in more detail. So i should be able to
1: i think that if the market can't profit off of hurricanes we should just stop having them
0: well, you would That's think, right? Said. The market would it would edit out hurricanes. We would just get rid of them. The market decide. Yeah, let the market decide where the hurricane hits. Mostly, it kind of does in a way. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Speaking of Florida Republicans, I think I sent you this article. It's really interesting this week uh, by Kara Vault, who writes in Washington Post. Interesting. I looked her up. She writes. She's the political reporter for the Washington Post Style section. It seems like an interesting gig. Um, but it's titled the MAGA American dream lives in Sarasota and Sarasota like is an area of Florida I know about, but I'm not overly familiar with. Like I'm aware of it, but I, it's always been a place that I've just identified as being uh, weird. It's the home of the, you know, wrinkling brothers circus. It used to be where the yeah. circus college was where we know, we know at least one clown who went there. Um, <laughs> they've now moved to the FSU campus, but it's also where, uh, Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman is from Sarasota. Have you ever heard? Have you ever heard of his interviews from when he talked about growing up in Sarasota? No. Where his his family? They moved from where were they? Somewhere up up north, and they moved to Sarasota for his his dad's work or his mom's work. And they uh, would go for family walks at night, and they kept hearing this boom at night. And like, what is that? Are they testing something, or is it construction? And they'd hear boom. And as they're walking along one night, they look at this gap between two houses and they see somebody flying through the air between the houses and they walk around (laughs) and they realize it's like the one of the circus families practicing being fired out of a cannon. (laughs) And so I didn't realize I did an interview with him where he he grew up going to um, circus camp in the summer because it was in Sarasota. And so that was a big part of his kind of uh, put the peewee stuff in his brain. And the big top peewee, especially. Yeah, he talked about that. How like big top peewee was like that was all about growing up next to the clown, clown college, circus college. Um, but yeah, Sarasota's always been weird. But it's like that. But it it also has, I think, a lot of rich people live on like the islands off of there, and then a lot of uh, conservative retirees like retire down there. But then it also had. Uh, the new college, which is um, Florida's own freak pit, uh, which is always, it's funny. I, I have to defend new college now when I was in high school and stuff, we always laughed at it because it was where like the really super overachieving hippies went. Like if you were a, uh, if you were into like patchouli and stuff, but you also were a valedictorian, you could go there. Um, and so it was like an assembly of all of those people. Um, and, and it was known for being you know, a certain kind of lefty, like a really kind of granola-ish lefty, but also being very gay friendly, um, uh, just kind of accepting in general. Well, not accepting if you weren't like really exceptional in high school, but accepting uh, of of you at that level. Um, And then, you know, it's been systematically destroyed by by Ron DeSantis and uh, Chris Rufo, who is not from Florida. Uh, and so Sarasota has kind of become this haven of, of a certain kind of movement conservative now. So like Mike Flynn lives there now, um, who, uh, this weird guy, uh, Vic Malore, who who owns a place called, uh, what is it called again? He said the Hollow, where he, he also operates like gun training for children in his own medical center that doesn't encourage people to get vaccinated. Um So yes, Sarasota has become, and it also has this guy who has uh, a tattooed owl on his neck, a Trump t-shirt and a hat that says IP in pools, uh, flying a fuck fuck, uh, Joe Brandon side, fuck Biden sign on the street. So people are like relocating to Sarasota, kind of make it over in uh, Trump's image and are trying to take over the school board, have taken over new college and are trying to kind of run the town essentially. So interesting things happening
1: i uh, it was i looked at the comments after reading the article your oh, comments i didn't see those uh well they're kind of i mean they're a lot like stuff that i hear about um, the south or about so-called red states which as we very well know uh, having lived a lot of our lives in them you know, a red state only has to be 51% Repub- Republican voters to be yes. red. It doesn't say very much about a state at all, really, to say what color it is, as if it's all some monolith. And you keep, uh, and occasionally you run into people who say, well, just send them all to that place and then kick them out of the union, or let's hope the South sec- secedes because that way we're rid of all of these rednecks who are ruining our country and stuff like that. It's like the the sort of dumbest version of the liberal response. And that's what a lot of people were saying. And then there were people in the comments saying, look, I live in Sarasota. There's all different sorts of things going on here. It's, right. uh, yes, there's been a, a huge um, sort of... Uh, leveraging of, of conservative power in Sarasota. I think that's part of uh, DeSantis's Make America Florida plan. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, you know, we're still here. We're still working. We're still trying to make our community work. We're still trying to hold the line against the worst of these excesses and that it is starting to work. And the whole idea that you th- uh, throw people under the bus as soon as I get a majority of um, red voters, is always very distressing to me.
0: Chad, I believe in statistics. You call that the ecological fallacy,
2: it's not? That is true. That's what you call it. Correct.
0: I mean, this is that's the most common example of the ecological fallacy, right? That because what is it? How would you put it? The larger unit is one thing. Each individual unit is also that thing. Is that right? Yes. That's that's uh, pretty much. Yeah. That's pretty much. Yeah. That's how I would explain it.
1: Thank you. I and in that. in rhetoric, we call that a fallacy of distribution, that the qualities of the individual are distributed to the group or the qualities of the group are distributed to the individual.
0: Yeah, and that's the, the common argument you get on lots of stuff in the South, right, which is like, well, you get what you deserve. And, you know, I've made this point 10 billion times, but it's the South is largely disenfranchised. So the individuals in there are not that thing, the government. Uh, often is, we have, as I have to say every time, we have 2 million uh, ex-felons in in Florida who are not allowed to vote, even though they've been voted in. So um, on top of all of the usual chicanery that goes on. So yeah, certainly I hold out hope for Florida, but also um, this is a definite phenomenon going on. And and you are I kind of said no about it for a long time, but the last few times I've been there, I've seen it. You just have masses of people moving down because they think that Florida is, is their fantasy. Um, uh, you know, I don't know, like what happens when the first big hurricane hits Sarasota or the villages, like, are they going to feel that way anymore when they can't get insurance to their houses? Are they going to feel that way anymore? Um, I don't know, but they're finding these, these enclaves, uh, and kind of putting into practice what they want to see, but it points out in this article too, which is, uh, some of the candidates for school board aren't winning. So I think maybe other Republicans are winning for them, but they're not like dominating here but they're trying to, so.
1: Uh-huh. And the Ziegler's who are also there and are big uh, players, she was trying to put together a program to train um, school board members to right. push that same agenda that, like, she couldn't get off the ground, that, yeah, that things are not quite as um, uh, right. as rosy for the MAGAs as they, um, as they might like even there.
0: Yeah, the Moms for Liberty and whatnot, who, you know, we shouldn't just ascribe to the South because Moms for Liberty. I was just looking at places in Rhode Island and people like, well, that school district has been taken over by Moms for Liberty, so you don't want to live there. Um, so there you go. Uh, there, there is like the whole thing with New College. So we talked about Deadwood last time, I think. One of my absolute favorite parts in Deadwood is, is when um, Steve the Drunk, the racist, is trying to buy the, uh, the stables, the livery from Hostetler, who is uh, black. And uh, no matter what deal they work out, Steve the drunk won't take it because he thinks they're that black people are trying to get one over on him. And so uh, spoiler alert, if you watch, if you haven't watched Deadwood, spoiler alert, it culminates in Hostetler just finally shooting himself because he can't argue with Steve the drunk anymore about this. Right. And so whenever I read these, I just keep getting that over and over again, like with the women's studies program at, at New College. And they bring in the new board, like, and they have Chris Rufo, who isn't even there, because he's not a Floridian, like, being projected on the wall, and all of these people speaking up, saying why gender studies is, is important in a liberal arts education, right, and then uh, them, the board just finally like, no, we're not going to have it anymore, and the person who's run the program for, like, 20 years having to just sit there and take it. It's crazy, and as I've said on Twitter, like, I can't figure out, like, well, I do, I understand, but, like, for people who are so obsessed with gender to then say there's no reason to have a gender studies program seems really odd to me. Like, all they think about is gender constantly. Yeah, it's true. So they don't want to think about race, even though race is, like, pretty much all they think about. They don't want to think about gender, even though they tell you all the time gender is this, gender is that. Well, then, don't you think you should study it? No.
2: Well, they don't want their kids to have to think. It. They want their kids to suffer through what they've suffered through.
1: <laughs> <Thinking about things. laughs> mm-hmm. what they really want is a is various departments of there's good ones and bad ones and the whole okay. point of uh, the department is to tell you which are the good ones and which are the bad ones in whatever distinction we're talking about whether it's race or gender or well, sexuality
2: or they call it or, good one bad one studies good one bad one studies <laughs>
0: Well, you keep having this thing, I was thinking about this with my work, they keep having this thing of like, well, we can't have you take a major that's not going to uh, correlate to a job. You can't we go go directly into a job, right? Uh, and then I was looking at uh, emergency manager job postings um, for the USA this week, and there was like one opening. It's like, okay, so we shouldn't have that either. And then, you know, especially up here in the Northeast, you look at what it takes to get into a fire department, to get a fire department job. Uh, it's not easy, right? It's not easy. So should we say we shouldn't have fire programs? You shouldn't be able to go to school to get training to be a fireman because that's a hard job to get. Like It's it's also silly. It doesn't work out. I mean, it's not what education should be anyway. We
1: know that, but Well, I was going to say probably in um, New College's nonprofit charter, it probably describes him as a job training center. And that's why they're saying that if it's not job training, you shouldn't have it in new college.
0: Well, the funny thing is, you know, they, new college was for like really high performing students, right? It was really hard to get into. I would imagine if you check the record on most of those students before this turnover, they're doing pretty all right. (laughs) And now they've brought in, what is it? They have like 300 people on the baseball team or something like that.
1: It's like 40 per, 40% of the new class is student athletes. Uh, yeah. I don't
0: know. Yeah, if you look at the numbers for how that works out as a career. Yeah. No, nah, that should work out. Anyway, so that being said, I think we were talking about churches today. What are we talking about? Church? Talking about church? School church? is, church. School church. is church. church. Church? I went to one.
1: I went uh, I went to one. I went to a couple. I went mostly to one. I went with my granny in the summers. Uh I'd go stay up there for long periods of time in Union County and went to Cedar Ford Baptist Church. It was a missionary Baptist Church, which I didn't quite understand um what that meant when I was a kid. Um I knew that my granny went to the women's missionary union, the WMU. Those meetings were I think Wednesday night. And then there was prayer meeting, and there was church twice on Sundays. So she often went to both of those. She was very churchy. And I went, and the, I think the defining characteristic of that church to me as a uh, missionary Baptist church was that everybody in it seemed about 200 years old. Yeah, I um, uh, think like. Um, you know, the, 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 I don't remember anything about that. I remember, uh, um, the sort of stained glass windows. And I remember counting ceiling tiles, um, uh, while the sermon was being said. And also I remember, um, at first being afraid to count ceiling tiles. Cause I always assumed that people looked down when they were praying, because God came in and hovered up above them. And I knew from the Bible that if you looked right at him, you'd catch on fire.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, th- that's what people were doing.
0: They might count back if we count enough. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, one of the things, it's a, it's a Baptist church. And uh, I was interested in talking about church, partly because I know we all have church experiences. But also uh, last summer, the uh, Southern Baptist Conference through like five churches at least two of which were mega churches out because they had women pastors uh which seems weird to me because that's the other thing i can say about the church i went to um is that it was sustained by women it's not like there were men there running things like men were in the theoretically the positions of power but what why did men go to church because women made them go to church, and it was a center, it seemed like a very female-centered universe to me.
0: But isn't every, insti- I don't even know what the South, probably America or the world, isn't every institution kind of like that, pretty much, that you've been involved in? I think in academia is like that.
1: Well, the ones that I've been involved in, for the most part, yes. Although academia, my experience there has been uh, that women did um, the majority of the work but weren't in leadership positions uh, nearly, leadership nearly as much?
0: Like if they didn't show up for work, like the place would fall apart. Oh, well, yeah, that definitely. They all the, the critical office jobs.
1: You um, guys are younger than me, so your church experience might have been, and also probably you were going to churches that weren't all ancient, um, uh, I think very, be, very, very rural people. Yeah, so you probably there. had a different, more political experience of church?
0: Wrong. Uh, no, I did not go to a hip, cool church like you see on TV. I did not go to one of those. I <laughs> we went to uh, a Southern Baptist church. Uh, there were no electric guitars playing because uh, that was Satan music. Like, this is a real, well, this might be, and this, Chad probably remembers this. This was when the whole debate was playing out about like secular music and stuff. So, like, um, Amy Grant singing with Peter Cetera was a big, uh, a big issue that got people riled up at church uh, because um, you didn't want to listen to any worldly music and Amy went off and betrayed us. Um, no, I think I was at the Southern Baptist church and it was pretty old school. It wasn't like we would sometimes go out in the country and go to like the country evangelical church where people were like speaking in tongues and like had a lot of missing limbs. And because so it was like farm country. Uh, and that was a trip. That was a different thing. But ours, I think, was pretty normal Normal for us, Southern Baptist Church, which was, there's a lot of old people, but there were young people, too. There were youth groups and stuff, but there was no attempt to be, like, the hip church, like the TV church at all. I think Chad said, yeah. Was.
2: Yeah, I was, uh, so I went to uh, Riley Memorial Baptist Church, which was a church that was founded by my grandmother. And, uh, when I was going to church, there was quite a few like young people going, I actually co-founded the youth group, the Baptist youth group at at my church. Um, but it was, yeah, we were not a speaking in tongues church, but you know, there were, you know, sometimes the spirit would move, would, you know, maybe the preacher would, would, uh, would get going and, um, the spirit would move him and, we didn't. Yeah, there was no electron, no, no electric uh, music instruments, but they did play guitars were played like, but it was like, um, you know, like string, string music, you know, like just playing guitars, singing old gospel songs. Like our church was not explicitly anti-dance, but there were people that did not, that believed dancing was bad. Like there were like prominent members of the church that thought dancing was bad, but.
0: um, Washington Baptists we used to call them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and um so it was yeah, like it wasn't a cool hit. I mean, there were a lot of kids, um, but it was still pretty I don't know, yeah. It wasn't like the big yeah, we didn't uh no drum there were no drums or electric like, guitars and no we didn't do good. like the youth group. The like the really the youth group what we did was we would have um You know, we had Bible school during the summer, but then we would go to like the Baptist convention in Nashville, which was like basically it, which was just like going. We would go to like the Vanderbilt, the arena, the basketball arena at Vanderbilt and just watch gigantic sermons like we would in church. But it was at the Vanderbilt arena and got to hang out
0: with a lot of other kids and stay up late. And fortunately, I was spared that. that. Yeah. I was, over in Royal Ambassadors (RAs) where we, um, like, it was kind of like Boy Scout Baptist Boy Scouts, where we made uh, Pinewood Derby cars uh, and stuff. And typical me, I was really behind and didn't didn't get that we were supposed to be doing them. So I I brought a door wedge. I put wheels on a door wedge
1: <laughs>
0: and, and raced it, and it did really well. Um, it, was, it turns out a door wedge with weights uh, weights glued onto it as well in a Pinewood Derby. Um, There was that. So Royal Ambassadors. I think by the time they got to youth group age, I had just stopped going to church. Like I was in all of the Bible school, like uh, Sunday school, all of that stuff up up through it. And then I did like everything you could possibly do. Because we went, as I say a lot, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And then Tuesday was like going out witnessing night, which we didn't do all the time. But I remember doing sometimes, I think it was Tuesdays. But Sunday, Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night—I remember. Um, and you do you do Sunday school, and there's a sermon at nine forty-five, and then you do that forever, uh, and then you mercifully get out. Um, but there was RAs, and then there was also the band of my existence—vacation Bible school (VBS), which we had to do every summer, and I—I I just remember uh, not liking it at all, <laughs> just wanting to get out like the whole time. Uh, and then you had to do that. I don't remember how many weeks, but you had the—that's where you like you have the Baptist flag, the Southern Baptist flag, and the American mm-hmm. flag, and you've got to like carry them to the front of the church.
2: That was they, a big deal when you got to. That was a big deal when you got to be the flag bearer. Yeah, uh, so you carry the flag, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if,
0: I
1: we don't can, know. if we can step back for a moment, I want to hear about going out witnessing. yeah
0: yeah yeah no it's exactly what you think so you go to people's doors uh hello we're here from the baptist church like we hear you moved into town or whatever we would like to invite you into fellowship with us like you just you're kind of cold calling people to go to church um i can't we should talk to my mom about this i remember doing it i remember going to people's houses knocking on the door you like give them some litter i think you just say like you're new in town uh, this is our church why don't you come to our, our church maybe you carry them food or something but you you kind of cold call people for
1: the church oh so, man that's not at all what I expected I thought it was like walking around down on the beach oh, yeah. well, telling so, people about <laughs> I think about for your experience me, of God. I think for other people
0: who aren't me it might have involved that i Fortunately, never had to do any of that stuff i'm not saying that stuff doesn't happen i i was never involved in that i think for you know i i know people who i'm related to who that is what they do and even though i'm related to them and i run into them in public and i want to say hey how how have you been you know third cousin they'll say i'm just excited to talk to you about jesus i'm so happy that god is in my life and it's like no we we've known each other our entire lives right like you you knew my dad his entire life. You know, you knew my grandmother. Like, why are you telling me this? But that's kind of what they do. Um, yeah, there are people like that, and that's like all they do. That's pretty much it. Is walk around and talk about talk about Jesus. Uh, no, I didn't. I don't f- remember having to do that. But we I mean, we did. It's one of those things where we got into the real church stuff. Where Southern Baptist Church probably like a lot of churches, but really was like tried to make it that you. You were the only, the kind of like real people in the world, and everyone else in the world was very much lost in the world. And that, so you needed to make that clear all the time. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't remember like rebelling against that, but I remember. For a long time, thinking, oh, that's the way the world works. Like when you're a kid, right? Like, oh, these people don't know this stuff that I know. That's really sad for them. Um, and then whatever switch happens, like when you get 12 or 13 and realize well, that seems like bullshit to me. Like, what? what is that about? Like, I can remember when so my grandparents had cable TV first in town. Like, I didn't we didn't have it. And I remember, like, um, MTV was like, my cousins were white. my cousins were bad because they were like kids from up north. Up north is Virginia, I should say, who didn't go to church. <laughs> <laughs> they and were from uh, Richmond, Georgia. Virginia, you know, up north, Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Atlanta is up north for sure. Um, and uh, they were watching like the police every breath you take video, which is like now the most benign thing you could possibly show. And I remember like thinking, oh, this is so sad. Like that dude's got an earring. Like, what are they
1: doing? it's heading straight to hell is what they're doing i was on the other side of a lot of witnessing when i was a kid you got Uh, because oh yeah because i was raised i wouldn't say that my household was strictly atheist my father was pretty strictly atheist my mom was more sort of agnostic Uh, not not committed one way or the other she'd grown up in the church that i went to with my granny and um uh had decided that that wasn't for her and but they wanted us to have like church experience so we could decide for ourselves whether that was what we wanted to do but um i at at school especially i was constantly i mean the the I won't even start on the teachers leading us all in prayer and stuff, which happened all the time. Uh, but the other kids were constantly asking me, have you been saved? Yeah. And uh, I think that it was that period in the early seventies. Uh, and that went on really through the Carter presidency uh, where born again and saved were um uh, terms that you just couldn't get away from they were on bumper stickers and things like that and then in the 80s i think the bumper sticker was discover the book the book um i remember glenn campbell doing a commercial for the book um, (laughs) which it took me a while to figure out what's the bible i went down a glenn campbell rabbit hole the other day
0: so we can divert off of that for now (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, the um, I mean, to me, I think that the, the, the church experience, and especially it sounds like we were all sort of, um, um, to one degree or another, familiar with that sort of middle, what for, for the rural or semi-rural South is middle of the road uh, sort of um, church that has a few aspects of social club, Sometimes gets a little close to speaking in tongues or rolling. Like they couldn't do holy rolling in my granny's church because they'd bust a hip. Um, <laughs> no uh, uh no faith healing I I never s I think I never saw faith healing anywhere except on TV. Yeah. Uh yeah, but
0: um, But we were uh Brother James uh, McKeithen church, which is focused on the family. uh, John, uh not brother James McKeith's a different one. Revival. Uh who's uh focus on the family? um brother uh dr john ah jesus christ how am i forgetting his name focus on the family
1: um i know who you're talking but um um, do it joe rogan uh, well well i think that the end of my church experience was about the time that um the southern baptist church started getting more top down than it had been yeah and that Mega churches started being a thing. Uh, I mean, my granny always watched. Yeah, Dobson. Yeah, that guy. Anyway, my. (laughs) 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 But my uh, granny always watched uh, Billy Graham on TV, and Mm. um, uh, because that was on, that that was always um, uh, it took over primetime TV back then. Uh, The Bill Graham Revival.
0: I I was really into the Jimmy and Tammy Faye when they were doing the telethon to build the water park. I was like super, I remember being super into that. I was like really, Um, actually invested in it. I was really invested in watching it. Like I wanted them to make. My grandma always watched the 700 Club. Like that was. I watched a lot of Pat Robertson. Uh, Mm. Dead or no, 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 leg press world record holder, Pat Robertson. I (laughs) I will say. But for for this though, well, two things. one, my grandmother, my dad's mother was my dad's mother was Presbyterian. and so I would do like holidays at her church and Presbyterian Church was a very different experience than Southern Baptist Church. It was a lot more stayed. Um, it, it was a lot. like you would because they would like uh, hire ministers and like post them there, you would get people who were very different, like socially, who like weren't invested in segregation and like, weren't, you know, weren't Holy rollers. So you would not, that's not all the time. You would have like kind of what you get in the Southern Baptist church, but you would occasionally get people who were different than that. And it was just a different, it was a more formal church experience. Like you, you went and you read from the hymnal and you read the scripture. Teaching the scripture. So my
2: my dad was Methodist. I mean, my dad never went to church. He rarely went to church, but he uh claimed to be Methodist. And so every once in a while we we would go. He it was I don't think he I don't think he was even a member of this church, but we would go to this Methodist church in New Taswell. Um and I remember it being so like I was like, "Whoa, these guys are like and nobody like nobody yelled like during the like they would give like the sermon. <laughs> yeah. No one gets on
0: their knees and names like, the spirit moves them.
2: <laughs> yeah nobody nobody starts to yell and the story and the sermon didn't consist of them starting out as like a drunkard and like you know i like could drunk and then <laughs> and, and getting sober you know it didn't have it like your sermon it was just they would talk they would read something out of the bible it's like oh this is what this means this is what i interpreted you know it wouldn't always like you know whereas like at the bat the, at my church it was always yeah he would the the preacher would read a story and then Tell some story about, you know, hanging out at a motorcycle bar, you know, for every Saturday night for a year until he, like, killed his first wife in a drunk driving accident
0: or something. And,
2: every <laughs> and then found
0: the Lord. Every Southern Baptist sermon is like that, where it's like, I used to be the shittiest human being on earth, and now I'm a different version of the shittiest human being. <laughs>
2: yeah, on. now I'm just,
0: an awful, I'm an awful, I'm a, a shitty
2: human being who doesn't drink anymore right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then i also remembered i was um oh i know what it wasn't it was my dad like my dad would take me to the because it was because my i remember why. oh my gosh it's coming back to me now. i know i we went to the church <laughs> dad would take us because <laughs> because my um my cousin my uncle he went to the church. My uncle went to this church. Like I think because his wife, his wife at the time, like I think his wife was a Methodist too. So my dad was like, Hey, I'm Methodist. We should go to, um, you know, we should go to you know, we should go to our, your uncle's church. And I remember the thing that struck, I think when I saw my cousin being baptized, I was like, Oh yeah, we're going to go see my cousin be baptized. And I was fascinated that they did it in the church. And they had like a little tub of water that they, I was like, Oh, we're not going to the river. Like, because that's where everybody at my church got baptized. Like we would go down to the river and people would get baptized in the river and i even remember once there was like the river was kind of low and like when the pow river at that time when the pow river got low it was you know it would kind of get really contaminated like it would the i guess the fecal levels would rise from like the farm and and i remember everybody everybody that got baptized in like this one batch they all got like they all got like conjunctivitis like, uh, yeah they all got pink eye and a boil <laughs> um, it. like
0: do you accept Jesus <laughs> let, me let me out let me out yeah
1: I remember my baptism we had
0: our baptism in the church but you were um I didn't know that you needed to bring a change of clothes, or that, um, or that you would come up. So afterwards, they had all of us who got baptized like come out in front of the church, and everyone would like come up and greet us. And I didn't know to be prepared for that. So everyone else, was, like, everyone else would, like brought a suit, and then I had like jean shorts and like a, a t-shirt on. <laughs> so I went from the church with my jean shorts and a t-shirt, and like everyone else was like wearing like a nice suit that they got for baptism. Like, okay, well. hold up Um, the other thing I was going to say about Southern Baptist Church is that is and I'm sorry Southern Baptist Church that is where I learned like how absolutely two-faced everybody around me was because like um, you would go to church like well one of course people secretly drink of course they go out of course they listen to secular music but also it was the most insanely like racist people I'd ever met in my life and so you'd be in church and they'd be you know talking about the brotherhood of man and all that stuff and then, like, they were insane racists and insane homophobes. It goes without saying. But then they were also, like, to you, to me, they were really decent, wholesome, nice people. And so it kind of, I think, <laughs> exposed me at that period of time. But oh, like that's how this works. I see. You know,
1: um, you're these well, and guys. there was always a sort of dispensation for the choir director, um, who well, people well, didn't well, acknowledge. They <laughs> so, so they didn't they, they didn't acknowledge that, that that they were game oh yeah yeah and yeah. they so were we had, allowed to be yeah i
0: mean i know i don't even have to tell you this type but there's the type of like baptist church calls a gay person that i think we would all recognize pretty quickly who are either like youth group director or choir director or, like somewhere up there and who's really enthusiastic about the lord yep Um, We also had the strange thing, which I've heard other people kind of say this, the people who were in the youth group but are in their like 20s at that point and have kind of aged out, but maybe they get a check and so no one wants to tell them they can't be in the youth group anymore.
1: (laughs) Um, The choir director, I remember the first time I ever saw um, a powder blue suit (laughs) Uh, was worn by the choir director at uh, uh, Cedar Ford back in the I guess this would have been the early 70s. Um, and he was very proud of his suit, too. You could tell as he sort of uh, strutted around in it. Um, um, well, the, and the, I think, um, yeah, go ahead.
0: It's very campy. It has a very campy aesthetic, right? Like there's a lot of crossover there, right? Like I, you know, uh, I think taste in a lot of it tastes in the dramatic whether
1: that be Chloe Well, or... what's interesting is that this church, the the music was like the most, we used to Broadman hymnal and mm-hmm. they, it think... was the old rugged cross. There was nothing even vaguely contemporary. Nobody listened to Amy I Grant. I mean, yeah. she wasn't around yet, but uh, no, there wasn't really a contemporary Christian music scene at that point, I think. Um yeah, yeah, just stick with the Mandrell sisters or something. Um I mean, not even that. Like one thing is that I wasn't culturally connected to anybody at that church outside of the context of church because they were all old old. And there might have been a few people my age. I don't remember ever seeing anybody my age. So a few little kids and some uh, uh people you know in their mid 20s who were old enough to have little kids in Union County. Uh, So late teens, early 20s, I guess. Um, But I never felt like there was anybody around who was my age.
0: So it sounds like we're going to have to have a full multi-part arc on uh, Dissecting Righteous Gemstones at this point. Um, On uh, Baby Billy's Bible Bonkers. uh, (laughs) I found when I was watching that part, I was getting really competitive on uh, Baby Billy's Bible Bonkers. I knew a few of the answers. I wanted to get in there. So I had, you know, I want a Bible at the revival. I brought, I brought the most people to the revival and I want to, I want a Bible.
1: I got to say, I, one of the big benefits to me of uh, all that Sunday school when I was a kid is that um, later I ended up teaching the Bible as literature at university. And yeah. the, my, a huge part of my formal background on learning the Bible was um, Sunday school, and then oh. once I kind of got the gig, I started reading uh, tons of secular commentary and reading all the essays in the Oxford Study Bible and all of the footnotes and everything.
0: Um, so in Liverpool, uh, my, my kid was going to Christian school because um, the Anglican schools are public there. Uh, and so he was getting like Bible time and he was kind of like, this seems weird. And I was saying to him, oh, me Uh, i was saying to him i just went dark (laughs) god caught me um i would say to him that there's value in that because there's so much of of like the western literature and kind of the things that we talk about are based on these uh bible on bible stuff right and that if you don't kind of pick up on that you're kind of operating out of a hole of not knowing you know like certain references and certain traditions and certain things it's worthwhile to
1: to learn your bible Yeah, absolutely. Um, not. That I, really- I keep trying to make the same case, but uh, I'm finding young people are not so into learning the Bible uh, at all. You know, even as a cultural monument and as a piece of world literature and uh, something of central cultural relevance in their lives, it's not of, of the kids that I'm teaching here. It's not of central cultural relevance.
0: It would behoove them to learn the good
2: book, yeah, the instruction. I always call it the instructions. <laughs> no. um,
0: Baby, the Bible, book. Bible. <laughs> I can't stop. is <laughs> the depiction of Baby Billy, <laughs> of the most spot-on Baptist Church thing I've ever seen in my life, even down to the walk. It did.
2: It. Uh, I mean, knowing the knowing all that Bible, it did help me later on when I went when I worked at a Catholic school for when I taught at a Catholic school for. Seven years, long after I had uh, left the church, long after I had left the the church behind, I could pretend I knew most of. I, I, mean, I remember most of my
0: learning with those papists that helped me. When you? I was
1: teaching, um, <laughs> when I was teaching the Bible in New Orleans, um, most of my Catholic students there, which it was an awful lot of my students in New Orleans said that they never read the Bible and that they weren't encouraged to in Catholic school or at Catholic church. Uh, They're much less, they say, you know, that's preacher, that's priest work is reading the Bible. They just deliver their homilies. And that's, that's what we do. We learn catechism and um, to say the rosary and our part of the mass and um, we don't have to spend a lot of time reading the Bible. Granny Booker spent an awful lot of time reading the Bible.
0: Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, though, I feel like so this true, like it's kind of two different things. So I learned a lot of the Bible, but I didn't learn how to read the Bible. We learned it in a really nonsensical way. Like we didn't learn it. We learned it in a very ahistorical way. Like not that it was, of course, because you, you're not learning that it was produced by people. You're learning that it was just pooped out by God. Produced by one person, yeah, and so you skip around like all the time, and you're like, well, you know, it says this here, and it says that here, so this is the case, but it never gives any context to that. Like we never learned any any context. Like this this is being written during the Roman occupation of Judea was not something I ever heard like once in in in, in church. You would learn it as as a document that was applying to your daily life, not as a historical. Thing that had any kind of context, or even that it was written in different a different language. I mean, I'm sure. I was
1: astounded. Hmm. I was astounded to discover that it was the medieval period before it was divided up into chapters and verses, and that that division was not part of the historical tradition uh, uh, back in you know before Jesus and in Jesus' time. But was because I'd always been taught like what you're talking about, sort of mix and match theology. You grab a verse from Leviticus, you grab a verse from Romans, uh, you put them together and you have uh, God's truth. uh, And that every single part fit with every other part Uh, and that it was written in these sort of sections rather than that it was each of them was a narrative. And that you can't, in a natural way, take a paragraph out of any narrative and have it make its original sense.
0: Well, I think a lot of, like, Baptist preachers are encouraged to just, like, kind of freestyle. And that's kind of the art of it. They are good at kind of, you know, uh, being in the cipher and all that. But they don't – you're not encouraged to think about these things critically, of course. Of course you're not, you know. So
1: you don't really get that. Well. I just – Rewatched um um vernon florida with my students last uh, at the, in the yeah. spring and right. that, uh, that that uh, that tr- scene in the church have another there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just an astounding thing anybody who hasn't seen it needs to watch vernon florida and there i hope you have another therefore experience that was so much like the sermons we would get
0: which are usually about auburn football but like where you don't understand at all. Like, <laughs> How did we just arrive here? Uh, but I did go to church during the middle of the Satanic Panic, so we got a lot of anti D and D makes you uh, rape your yeah. family. The actual sermon that I said. Yeah. Nice. Um, yes. So that concludes us for today. Uh, all this is. Uh, we hope we all move past our uh, childhood traumas on that one, and. Um, <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> no I feel like I'm back in church.
0: And God came to me, and he said, Therefore...